Well, on a bow together in prayer as we come to our time and study of God's Word and uh, part two in our study that we're currently dealing with, uh, who is this God we serve? Let's pray. We bow before you, Father. We've had this time of worship recognizing your strong, powerful hand in our lives. And we do need those moments because from day to day uh, in the workaday world, we can lose that perspective. We can feel a sense of hopelessness. We can feel a sense of, does God really care? Thank you for the privilege of coming here this morning and the reminders of your word in song, in prayer, and now in the word of your goodness, your faithfulness. Teach us about yourself today as we open the pages of Scripture. Thank you in advance for what you will do in Jesus' name. Amen. A chicken got corn every day from its farmer. Day after day, the farmer would bring a pile of corn for the chicken. The chicken liked that. Day after day, the chicken thought, this guy is really, this farmer, he's a good guy. He really is. Thank you, Mr. Farmer. Day after day, this continued until the day came when there was no corn. Instead, there was a hatchet, and it cut the chicken's head off. Does this mean the farmer was bad? If he was bad, bad from whose perspective? Relate this story to God and his people. God is so good. He's blessed me in so many ways. I've experienced wonderful things from the hand of God. And then a major catastrophe comes. God's still good? If so, from whose perspective? We can't understand the ways of God any more than we can understand, any more than a chicken can understand the way of a farmer. In fact, the scripture is quite clear. In Isaiah chapter 55, God said, My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my way higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He's on an entirely different wavelength than us in many ways because he is so far beyond us. The fact is that God rarely does things the way we think he should, because we want to create God in our image. When we think of God as good and loving, we want to define that according to our terms of good and loving, and life doesn't always work out that way. It is hard for us to understand when the corn stops coming and difficulty comes. It is hard for us to understand how we are created for the pleasure of God, for his purposes. Perhaps today you're facing such a life dilemma and you're wondering, I know God's good. I'm just not seeing it right now. I know God loves me. At least I think he does. I just don't know that I sense it right now. These are difficult times. We all go through them. Last week, we started this series, Who is this God that we serve? If his ways are so far beyond us, and at times we are baffled as to his conduct in life, and we're not sure what he's doing at many junctures in life, could we get to know him more deeply? 
And of course, the answer is yes. Can we know him completely? No, he is so far beyond us. The chicken cannot fully comprehend the true goodness of the farmer and his real purposes in life. The chicken cannot understand the purpose of its life in the overall good of the farmer's life. These are hard things to understand when you're a human being. Instead, we are delving into the scriptures to look at some of God's key characteristics. We call them attributes. What are his characteristics? Last week, we took a look at his holiness and saw how his holiness was at another whole level, an other kind of holiness that's far beyond anything that you and I can imagine. It is a complete and a good holiness. Today, we look at what I call the three omnis, O-M-N-I, the three omnis. First of all, he is omniscient, that is, he is all-knowing. Second of all, he is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. And third, he is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. In knowing our God just a little bit more, we got to tap into these three. They're the big three omnis. And there's one place in Scripture that particularly takes the three of them and gives us some good hands-on illustrations of day-to-day life for a God with the three omnis. It's Psalm 139, and that's where we will park for our sermon today. If you have copies of Bible at home or here with you, we encourage you to open those. For those of you here in the auditorium, if you don't bring one and you want one, there's always some on the back table there. We're just not putting them in the chair racks yet. And, you know, we'll get back to some of that eventually uh, in light of COVID and so on. But uh, they're back there if you ever want to pick one up on your way into the auditorium. In Psalm 139, I want to read some of the opening verses. The first section, the first six verses. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. In these first six verses, we see that he is the, our God who is all-knowing. He knows everything. This is hard for us to understand because there's not one of us that would claim to know everything, but our God does. He is all-knowing. He is omniscient. If you look again at that opening verse, verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. It's a general statement referring to that he knows everything about me and my world. O Lord, you have searched me. The word search is a Hebrew word that actually means to dig into, to penetrate, to know intimately. God has that about you. He knows you very well. And what follows in verses 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 are examples of how well he knows you. Take a look at some of those examples. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. That is, even when my thoughts are way out in left field, you know exactly what they are. You're not surprised by them. 
Lord, you know my thoughts. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. You know the patterns and the habits of my life, the ways that I move in life. You know everything about me. And, oh, Lord, you hem me in behind and before. The term hem in is actually a term that in some occasions is used in a military capacity, like an army surrounding a city and keeping it secure. Lord, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. There is no getting away from him and what he knows about you. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. Bumped into those times like we all have. Oh, I didn't realize I could actually do that. God knew. And he knew all the other ones that you don't even know you don't know yet. He knows all of that about you. So if I were to summarize it, I would use verse 6. Such knowledge about me is too wonderful for me. It is just too far. It is way above me. It is too lofty for me to attain to. I just can't understand it. It is mind-blowing to me. It is absolutely overwhelming. That's how well your God knows you. Now, let me say something about that in terms of application. There's so many directions we can go in this in terms of application, but we live in a culture that at best makes us feel like we are very average or below. Many of us feel very insignificant, and we compare, because we compare ourselves to other people. We see them in their greatest strengths, and of course, they're kind of looking at us, seeing some of our strengths, and we don't share those things, but we tend to think we are average or below. In fact, there's actually been some studies that have done of people who are very powerful, people who are rich, people who are famous, and they too feel average, like, oh, well, I'm really just me. I mean, I'm not the, why does everybody look to me? Why do they think I have such... Something about our culture teaches us to think we're just so Joe average. He knows us intimately. In our culture and in humanity in general, we're asking the questions, who in the world am I and why am I here and do I even matter? I'm just so nothing. I mean, if I disappeared, what would few people might miss me, but that's me. Now you can think that way like the world does. Or you can understand that there is a God who knows you better than you know yourself. He knows everything about you. He, God Almighty is paying attention to you. This adds tremendous significance to your life. Not because of who you are, not because of your greatness. He is not scared off by your baggage of your life. You are important to him. He made salvation possible by sending his son to die for your sin. He punished his son in your place. Who is this God that we serve? He is a God who adds tremendous significance to our lives. When everything in our world is telling us we are so average or below average, God says, I'm God Almighty and you're mine. I pay attention to you. I love that story of the world-famous virtuoso violinist. He's heading to Houston for a big concert down there with the Houston Symphony, a big 
Big, big concert. One of the big uh, papers in Houston writes up in the morning uh, about the big concert coming that night and how this great virtuoso is going to pay, uh, play his Stradivarius violin that's worth over a million dollars. All this concentration about the violin. and uh, Well, the artist, he didn't really like the focus on the violin. So that night at the concert with the Houston Symphony, he played and he played well. I mean, immediately upon the finish of his number, there was an immediate thunderous applause, standing ovation. People were going crazy, and while they're going crazy and nuts and applauding and everything, he takes his bow and he sets it on the concertmaster's chair, and then he takes the violin and he just smashes it on the chair of the concert violinist. And everybody goes, ah! After they regain their composure, the artist says, this morning I read in the newspaper of what a great violin I have. He said, I want you to know it's not the violin. Today I went down the street here in Houston to a pawn shop and I bought a violin for 10 bucks and I put new strings on it. That's the violin I just played and I just broke for you. Everybody relaxed a little bit. And then he said, I wanted to demonstrate you I wanted to demonstrate to you it is not the violin. It's the hands that hold the violin. Point made. Tells you you are average or below average. But the hands that hold your life is quite capable of taking a pawn shop violin and playing a masterpiece with it. You can't imagine that our God who knows you so well, you can't imagine how he will use you and what tunes he can play through your life. The hands that hold you know you better than you know yourself. You are known completely by him. Our God is all-knowing. The next six verses now go to the second omni, and they teach us that our God is also present everywhere. Have you ever had one of those moments in life you were so busy, you were thinking, if I could just be in two places or more at one time? God has never wished to be in two places or more at one time because God is everywhere at the same time. Take a look at the two general questions that are stated in verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? In other words, there's nowhere I can go that you're not God. You remember the story of Jonah in the Old Testament? God appeared to his prophet Jonah and he said, Now I want you to go down to Nineveh and preach those sin to those sinful people a, a message of repentance and they're going to repent. I want you to go down there and do that. And Jonah didn't want to go there. So he ran from God. A prophet of God thinking he can actually run from God. He runs and he goes the other direction towards Tarshish, 1,500 miles in the opposite direction. You would think a prophet of God would know better. But would you not also think we would know better that when we're in the midst of difficulty or God asks us to do something that's tough or we're in the midst of a difficult thing, we think God has, we think we're hiding from God or we can get away from him or whatever. Where are you, God? He hasn't moved, he's everywhere. Where can you go from the Spirit of God? 
Nowhere. Where can you flee from his presence? Nowhere. If you've read the last chapter of the book of Hebrews recently, you have bumped into that passage in Hebrews 13 where uh, the writer says, and he's actually quoting from the Old Testament, the book of Joshua, where he says, he will never leave us or forsake us. He cannot leave you because wherever you are, he's already there. Now what we have here in the next several verses of this section is demonstrations that God is everywhere. And there's a bunch of if statements, hypotheticals. Here are the hypotheticals. If I go up to heaven, if I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. Uh, bed in the depths would be like the grave, you're dead. So if I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I come up like the sun at the beginning of the day, moving at the speed of light, you're there. If I settle on the furthest side of the sea, you're there. Even there, your hand will guide me, and your right hand will hold me fast. If, if, if. Hypothetical situations. Look at verses 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, I could hide from God in the darkness like Jonah. I'll go towards Tarshish. I'm not doing what God says. You can't get away from him. You can't hide in darkness from God. God sees equally well in light and in darkness, and that's what he says. Surely the darkness will hide me, and the light becomes night around me, you say. Even the darkness will not be dark to you, God. And night will not shine like the day. And light will shine like the day, sorry. For darkness is as light to you. Darkness, light, doesn't matter. God sees equally well in both. So these five if statements, the David, the... the the writer of the psalm here is imagining hypothetical situations where he could go where maybe God wouldn't be there with him. They don't exist. Make up your own list of five. If I lose my job. When I lose my loved one. When my health fails. When my kids do something that separates me from them when I burn out. If those things happen, God, would you be there? I don't feel you, God. It is amazing how much our theology is built on feelings. If we feel God's not there, he must not be there. But it's not about our feelings, is it? He is everywhere. I recently passed the 42nd anniversary of my mother's death. I spent some time thinking about that. 42 years is a long time. So I spent some time thinking about her and praying about that and trying to gain some perspective on this in life. And I spent some time remembering uh, at her funeral, the preacher preached from Romans chapter 8. 
talked about how nothing, not even death, can separate us from the love of God. He preached on these words. I am convinced that neither death nor life, I mean, death can't separate you from the love of God. Life and all of its stuff that it throws at you can't separate you from the love of God. Neither can angels nor demons. Nothing in the present world, nothing in the future world, nothing at all, neither power nor heights nor depth nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can never get away from his love and his presence. You may feel that God is not present in your difficulty today. But these verses assure us he is there. You now have your if situation, your hypothetical, and you wonder if he is there. In time, you will see his hand. Be patient. He knows all, and he is present everywhere. These are the first 12 verses of Psalm 39. If you pick up at verse 13, now you see the third omni, that he is all-powerful. This is a most incredible portion of the Bible. It's just awesome in these next few verses. I want to read starting in verse 13, and I'll add little comments to the reading as we go. Come to grips with this, because what, what the writer is doing, he is showing us the powerful hand of God in our very lives, in our bodies, in our thought processes, his thoughts. Starting in verse 13, notice how he is all-powerful in the design of your body. Some of you are going to have a lot of trouble handling this one because you look at your body and, ugh, you know, hang in there. For you created my innermost being. The term innermost being is the Hebrew word for the vital organs inside, like the kidneys, heart, the lung. God created those. You created my key vital organs. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I picture granny in her rocking chair with her knitting needles. He knit you together as you are. He built you. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, God. Have you ever stood in front of the mirror looking at yourself and said, God, your works are, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. You ever stood in front of the uh, mirror and worship God? Psalmist continues, he says, your works are wonderful. I know it full well. For me, where I am in life right now and all that I have and what I don't have and who I am and what I look like, I understand, God, you don't make junk. He continues, my frame was not hidden from you when I was in the secret place. The word frame is actually the word for the human skeleton, your structure. My skeleton was not hidden from you when I was in the secret place, a metaphor for your mother's womb. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. Another metaphor, depths of the earth for your mother's womb. God saw you in your mother's womb in the unformed body state. In 
embryo fashion there. God knew you before there was definition of head and arms and fingers and hands and feet and legs. Before that definition, God knew you. What an amazing demonstration of an all-powerful God. He goes beyond that to say not only did he design us, but he actually had a plan for your life. Some of you might need to hear this today in a very practical and a real way because maybe when you were conceived, maybe you were an embarrassment to your parents. Maybe your conception was outside of marriage. I don't know. Maybe you were unplanned in your family. Maybe you were an oops. When my parents got married, they wanted to have kids. They tried and tried, got doctor counsel. Doctor finally said, you'll never have kids. Obviously, they did, but, you know. Twelve years later, they conceived, and my sister was born. And they were so happy. And the doctor said, enjoy it, because it'll never happen again. Three years later, Dan was born. At that point, they were old enough that I was considered an oops. I was certainly unplanned. Human beings have a way of looking at other human beings' lives and say, you were unplanned, you were an oops, you were an embarrassment. Maybe some of you have been part of a relationship that conceived a child and it caused embarrassment. But what these verses are saying is God saw that unformed child in utero. Even before the definition of feet and legs and hands and fingers and head and so on. In fact, the end of verse 16 is most striking. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You hadn't even been born yet and God had written down where your days would go. There are no oops, no unplanned, no embarrassing pregnancies. It's all part of a master plan. We need to step back and realize that we serve a God who is all-knowing, he is everywhere present, and he is all-powerful. He will even take the sinful activities of people and he will produce through it something for the glory of his name, a violin that the world considers to be average or below. He'll add a few new strings, He'll play a concerto. Sing. In Jeremiah chapter 1, God said this to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart for the work I have for you. God has a plan for each and every one of us. You might wonder if the world would even miss you if you were gone. 
you might wonder who you are and why you're here, I assure you to turn to this amazing God whom we serve, who is all-powerful, He is all-present, He is all-knowing. Psalmist continues in verses 17 and 18 about the thoughts of God. Now, remember, all-powerful. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, your thoughts about my life and your plan for my life. This is very precious to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. It's overwhelming to me what you've planned into my life. If I were to count them, they were outnumbered the grains of sand. When I wake, you're still with me. Have you ever gone to the shore and just picked up a handful of sand and ever count all the granules? Can't do that. You drop one first. Not just the granules of sand in your hand, the grains, but all the grains of sand in that beach and all the beaches of the world. His thoughts about you, they are vast. They are beyond counting. The human mind can handle an awful lot, and sometimes we pat ourselves on the back thinking we can handle so, so much. But God is so much greater. Do you really want to live your life based on what you see for your life, or would you rather surrender it to the God of the universe who has this kind of three omnis and a great plan? He knows every molecule of dust on every planet in the universe, even planets not inhabited. He does not simply watch over meaningless things like dusts and particles on uninhabited planets. He observes every breath that you take. He observes every heart beat that your heart beats. In light of all these three omnis, and as he closes the psalm, the psalmist now prays a prayer, and it's a significant prayer. It says in verses 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Back to verse 23 for a minute, the very first word, Search me, O God, search me. It's the same word he used back in verse 1 of this psalm when he said, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. This is the word for he penetrates down into our lives. He knows us intimately. He digs into us. Lord, go ahead and search me. You know me anyhow. You know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts, my Anxious thoughts. What's sinking my ship today? See if there's any offensive way in me, God. You'll know I will not lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in your way, your path for my life, the one that you ordained even before I was born, the one that you wrote about in your book before I was even conceived. God, examine my thoughts and see which ones pull me away from you in my anxiety today and draw me back. These are the words of a believer who no longer trusts in themselves their own thoughts, their own discernment and wisdom about life. 
The words of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your understanding. Where are you leaning today? Are you leaning on your perspective and your smarts and your abilities and maybe seeing yourself above average? Or are you leaning on a God who is all-knowing and everywhere present and all-powerful? At the beginning of the service today, Pastor Matt said that problems are not the big issue. It's that our God is too small. I'm not downplaying anything that any of you have going on in your lives today. Some of you got big stuff going on. But would you reflect for a moment this past week on the prayers that you have prayed? Are you praying prayers to an almighty and all-powerful and all-knowing God? Or are you asking for toys and peanuts and trinkets to get you through life a little easier? Little itsy-bitsy things here and there. How tragic when we have God Almighty. Jeremiah 33, God said, Call unto me and I will answer you. I will show you great and mighty things that you can't even know. One adventure? Plug into a God of the three omnis. Stop following personal discernment, your own understanding of life, and rest in his promises. I dare you to trust this God. This is the God that we serve. Let us not be guilty of asking for peanuts, toys, trinkets, itsy-bitsy things. Let's let God play a concerto through our lives. Father, thank you for your amazing, all-complete knowledge, all-powerfulness, and the fact that you are present everywhere all the time. We are amazed of you as that kind of God, and yet you call us to be your children, and you have plans for our lives. We have the great privilege of serving you. Add such significance that this world knows nothing of, significance to our lives. Thank you. May we trust you deeply. Wait upon you for your plan. We praise you, we worship you, our almighty God. Lord, it is you we serve. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.